Welcome to the Three Martini Lunch. Grab a stool next to Greg Corumbus of Radio America and Jim Garrity of National Review. Three Martinis coming up. It's the Wednesday Three Martini Lunch. So glad you're here. And uh, Jim, we talked about how the previous Democratic debate was a WWE-like brawl. And, and this time, all we really were missing were the chairs because uh, as we go into our Three Martinis here, there was a lot of fighting, but it wasn't nearly as entertaining as last time. So let's get into why. We've got bad, crazy, and crazy martinis today. Uh, and Jim, basically, for whatever you want to say about MSNBC, their moderators kind of know when to jump in, when to interfere to, to keep things orderly. And CBS tried to let them go, and it just got completely out of control last night. Uh, here's just a couple of examples. Uh, first of all, here's Klobuchar finishing an answer. And then it's just a free-for-all for like 30 seconds. And do something for the people of Thank America you, instead of a bunch of broken promises uh, that sound good on bumper stickers. Me. Mr. Steyer, Mr. Steyer, we'll get to you, Mr. Sanders. Let's talk let about me, it. Can I say something? Look, first of all, let me go. Tom, I think she was talking about my plan, not yours. I think we were right. talking about math, and it no, doesn't take no, two hours well, to do the math. Because let's talk about what it adds up to. Let's talk about math. Let's talk about math indeed. Okay, so here's the math. No, here's the math. Excuse Excuse me. Can I respond doing to the nothing is what will happen. Senator Sanders, you're allowed a quick forward response, and we would like to allow you Andrew Yang saying, nobody ever cared when I wanted to talk about the math. But uh, yeah. then, uh, if that wasn't enough, it was Sanders and Buttigieg again. This was a little more complicated because Bernie asked what he thought was a rhetorical question, and Buttigieg, being a debater, tried to take advantage of it. Do we think health care for all, Pete? Is some kind of radical communist idea? Do Wendy we think so? raising talk about the that. minimum no, wage to I'm a living to wage? To the Do we think building really the millions of this units really of affordable housing no, if, if that we need? That Do we think question, raising taxes on billionaires is a radical let's, let's, idea? Let's talk Do you about think what's criminal about justice that plan? reform Senator, is a radical Senator. idea? The Canada. things you just named. Do we think immigration reform? The truth is, Jim, not a crowning achievement for CBS. Uh, they had a lot of people at that panel, five at uh, at one point, asking questions and trying to keep order, and they failed miserably. First of all, to our listeners, I'm sorry Greg picked such long excerpts to play there. Uh, Greg and I could just talk over each other to give you the sense of how that... I, I wonder if campaigns realize how painful to the ears that is. And they, you know, okay, sometimes you know things get heated, it's going to happen here and there. But it really, after a while, just turns into noise. And what was, look, the reason things were different from the debate a little more than a week ago in Las Vegas, with that one was the first one with with Mike Bloomberg. And as I wrote in today's Morning Jolt, this was the first time I felt like the candidates really got honest with each other. One, about what they really think of each other, which is not very much. And two, like, here's the argument of why the party should nominate you. High among them, you're not going to be able to beat Donald Trump. And here's why. And they were all really blunt about it. And I, I don't think this is contrived. or I don't think this is, you know, some sort of strategic play acting theater for the cameras. I think Elizabeth Warren really thinks Bloomberg is a creep um, and that stop and frisk is a disaster. I think Mike Bloomberg really thinks Bernie Sanders is a communist. And I think that Amy Klobuchar just wants to reach out and smack Pete Buttigieg, right? <laughs> and it all came out. Last night, it all came out the same way, but at the same time. And it was just this cacophony so often um, that I think it didn't do anybody any good. 
in part because you couldn't hear what people were saying. Like there was a really legitimate argument that was that was supposed to happen there about how Bernie Sanders is going to pay for his plans. And one, it, it's hard to auditorily understand numbers. And as I was hearing that last night, Greg, I was saying the thing, how many times have you and I talked about budget numbers or the deficit of the debt or jobs numbers and how much you know, it, it's easier when you can see it. You know, I don't know if you need a whiteboard or an Excel spreadsheet or a chart or something. Some people are, are just, you know, I'm, I'm a visual learner myself. So like you, you, it's just easier to process that, that information when you're seeing the numbers out there. It's much tougher when people are just rambling numbers and it's even worse when people are talking over each other. So um, I think this was a bad debate. Uh, and I say this not rooting for any of these Democrats. I just think as somebody who, if you were a Democrat who had not really paid much attention to the race so far, and Super Tuesday is coming up, and you're like, okay, I might as well take a look at these guys. One, I don't think you're impressed with any of them. Uh, I think I think you know the Trump campaign should once again be celebrating. But I just I just feel like it. This was a debate that because it it turned into two or more people shouting at the same time so frequently, and and interrupting each other, and, and just kind of elbowing and jockeying for time and space. That, that it really I think I think it did a disservice to viewers at home. Uh, and I think every campaign has a good reason to be kind of frustrated with the way you know that, that uh, the debate turned out last night. Well, you don't want the refs to take over the game. But last night, uh, CBS's moderators were almost like the replacement NFL refs where it was just <laughs> anything goes. I'm just reminded of the Packers-Seahawks game where the last play of the game, you got one ref calling it an interception and another one calling it a touchdown. And uh, that's kind of how it was for CBS last night. Not a good look. Not a good look. You know, I just they, they kind of reminded me of the professional wrestling Referees? I mean, they're there, but they're not going to do anything. Easily distracted by people on the outside uh, so yeah. forth. But uh, I, There were some other moments uh, worth mentioning, uh, some of which you absolutely knew would come. First of all, here's another shot from Warren at Mike Bloomberg. At least I didn't have a boss who said to me, kill it, the way that I Mayor Bloomberg never said that. have said okay. to one of oh, his on. pregnant employees. You can also count on Joe Biden getting something horrifically wrong like this murder statistic. 150 million people have been killed since 2007 when Bernie voted to exempt the gun manufacturers from liability. More than all the wars, including Vietnam, from that point on. And while Sanders should have been the major target last night, there was at least this where he took on Putin and Pete Buttigieg tried to pretend that Sanders was, oh, maybe he's right, will be a disaster for uh, Democrats down ballot. And let me tell Mr. Putin, who interfered in the 2016 election, try to bring Americans against Americans. Hey, Mr. Putin, if I'm president of the United States, trust me, you're not going to interfere in any more American elections. Look, Hello. if you want to keep the House in Democratic hands, you might want to check with the people who actually turned the House blue. Forty Democrats who are not running 41. on your platform. They are running away from your platform as fast as they possibly can. So, Jim, you got uh, classic Warren, classic Biden. And while there were some shots at Sanders, the fact that the chaos is the headline means that Sanders effectively emerges largely unscathed. Yeah. Uh, the first thing I think I, we should note there, Greg, is that the 150 million Americans killed by gun violence that Vice President Biden referred to, um, not only is that half the U.S. population, I believe that is the single biggest death toll in America since the FCC killed net neutrality. Um, or or the tax cuts. Um, or I, I don't know whether it was Kavanaugh or war with Iran was supposed to kill. I, I believe it was like 300 
trillion people, I believe, was the last <laughs> estimate of that one. So, so yeah, what 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 Biden lacked in accuracy last night, he made up for in passion. He was he was very shouty last night. You know, it was. I, I expected a lot more malarkey uh, <laughs> cries from him over over that. Um, look, some because everyone went into the night if they should have gone in ready to just nuke Bernie Sanders, and he took some punches. I think it was the first time you really saw a sustained focus on him. I said the last debate was get shorty referring to Bloomberg, but really Bloomberg hasn't won any delegates yet, right? Bloomberg's not even on the ballot in South Carolina. If you're going after Bloomberg in this debate, you're, you're kind of wasting your time unless your name is Bernie Sanders and Warren just apparently she's running for, she wants to be the running mate. Now she's not interested in going up. She made some, some, some really mild criticisms in the beginning, basically saying Bernie's got the right ideas, but I'm the one who can get it done. That's about as gentle a criticism as you can throw at this thing. And then she just went after Bloomberg over and over and over again. If I didn't find Bloomberg's comment to that employee so detestable. Uh, and by the way, Greg, kind of foreshadowing something, I'll have a national review either today or tomorrow or hopefully sometime this week. I read through the lawsuit filed against Bloomberg by that former employee. It is everything the Me Too movement is is shocked and appalled by and st- stands to, to get rid of. It really makes Bloomberg in the 1980s and 1990s look like Animal House. Um, just one grossly inappropriate comment after another, but obviously the kill it comment stands out the most. It is kind of intriguing to hear Warren uh, objecting to someone recommending an abortion in the right. most vehemently pro-choice party. But the, the comment there about Sanders and how talk to House Democrats, you know, they're running away from your agenda as fast as they can. That's a really great, you know, argument against Bernie Sanders, right? These these Democrats who are in these swing districts in the, in, in the, in the House they're, they're not clearly driven by a knee-jerk animosity to Bernie Sanders. They just don't want to lose their seats. And they're basically saying, hey, if he's the nominee, I, I don't have very good chances of, of winning re-election. That is the sort of thing you'd think a rank-and-file Democrat might want to take into account for their thinking. The problem is this is coming from Pete Buttigieg, who is not going to be a player in South Carolina. And I don't know how many states on Super Tuesday he's going to be a big player. I don't, I don't think he's going to win any of them. He probably is going to have some respectable second and third place finishes, but... Of the people on that stage, well, first of all, Tom Steyer shouldn't be there. I would have voted for any Democrat on that stage who just turned to him and said, Scotty, what are you doing here? In reference to his plaid tie. The, the, you know, I think Klobuchar is really on her last legs. Yes, Minnesota votes on Super Tuesday. Beyond that, where is she going to win? You know, as I, as I wrote today, we're past the point where the respectable third place does you that much good. This, this is now crunch time. You have to start winning places. And right now there are three people on that stage who have decent shots of winning bunches of states. Bernie Sanders, Mike Bloomberg, and Joe Biden. Everybody else is kind of competing to stay in it. And again, when you're trying to stay in it, you're not winning. And that's what you need to be doing at this stage. So kind of if you wanted to see Bernie Sanders derailed, you saw some of what you wanted to see last night, but I think not nearly enough. Um, I don't think it's kind of foreshadowing one of our later Martinez. I don't think Sanders is going to win South Carolina, but he doesn't really need to. He's probably going to do pretty darn well in a bunch of states on Super Tuesday. He probably is going to be the only person who's going to get delegates out of every single one of them, getting at least a you know a second place finish, respectable third place finish here and there. It's very tough to see a scenario where Sanders doesn't go into Milwaukee with the most delegates. And if you're a Democrat, that should be freaking you out. If you don't like socialism, that should be freaking you out because Trump could beat him like a drum, but Trump might also bobble this away, if there's, particularly if there's a recession from coronavirus or other factors. 
Now, a couple different thoughts here as we finish on on the debate. Uh, first of all, I think, and, and we talked about this a little bit yesterday, it, it's going to be hard for them to hammer Sanders on socialism for two reasons. Number one, if it was really a concern, like we talked about, they would have done it months ago, or at least weeks ago when he was starting his surge. And secondly, it's kind of hard to be a candidate saying, we need to really grow the size of government to do all these new programs, but not as much as that guy. Uh, it's just a matter of degree in the minds, I think, of a lot of people. Secondly, I just want to point out that I have officially declared Joe Biden the Forrest Gump of American politics, because no matter what the question was, hey, man, I was there. I got them to sign on to the Paris Accord. I, I, I passed the Violence Against yeah. Women Act. Everything that you want done, I've already done it. Apparently, Joe Biden was posing as he should have just broken out of Dos Equis and said, I am the most interesting man in the world. <laughs> That's right. But it's volume strong. Volume is very strong. I am the most, yeah. <laughs> and the loudest. Usually you joke about him being shout, 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 whisper, 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 shout, shout, shout. No whispering anymore. He's just, just shouting. No, that's all right. We're whispering <laughs> stage of this campaign. All right. Well, let's talk about uh, one of our crazy martinis now, because I guess we're still talking about the debate for this one. But at the debate hall last night, you might have noticed some people were cheering a lot more for some people than others. And you think, oh, well, OK, that campaign got uh, more people in the hall that night. Uh, no big deal. Well, it turns out that uh, the Charleston Democratic Party was selling tickets for large sums. There's apparently two tiers in the audience there. The balcony going for at least $1,750 a ticket, up to $3,200 a ticket on uh, in the lower bowl. And here is Live 5 in South Carolina, which broke the story, reporting on how the Charleston Democratic Party quickly reverse skated on this. Fewer than 24 hours after Live 5 News reported a guaranteed seat to the Democratic debate would cost thousands of dollars, the Charleston Democratic Party has now removed that option from its website. Yesterday, the website showed the only guaranteed way to get a ticket to that event this month is to become a sponsor of the debate, something that costs thousands of dollars. Well, this morning, that option to donate and get a guaranteed seat was removed, and it shows the Charleston County Democratic Party will not have any tickets to distribute. We're still waiting to find out exactly why they made that change. So, Jim, I have to think that Bernie Sanders didn't know that last night or else he would have mentioned it because there were a lot of people cheering for Bloomberg, not so much for him. I think there were quite a few uh, cheering for Pete. But uh, in the end, it, uh, supposedly the party of the people, not looking uh, too party of the people-ish there. The first thought is, Greg, can you imagine any – like? I, I, I felt really good when I got tickets to the Jets-Redskins game for something like 35 bucks a pop. I wasn't willing to pay anymore because the Redskins were terrible. <laughs> I didn't have to pay anymore, you know. But like the idea, I'm going to spend seventeen hundred dollars for a ticket to a debate. But I realized this that like of compared to the twenty three hundred, which is the legal max for the primary, legal max for the general, that you can contribute seventeen hundred dollars to be in that hall and to go woo every time your candidate <laughs> opens his mouth. Maybe that's actually pound for pound one of the most cost effective ways you can help your candidate. I have my doubt though. I have my nagging sense that, uh, that, that in fact, you know, who gets the most debate, applause of the debate doesn't really change the state of the race very much. It doesn't really, it probably is good for the morale of the campaign that does this. It probably makes the candidate feel good. It might see you know, everyone else on the stage might be, why is everybody going bonkers every time Bloomberg says something? I thought Bloomberg had a better than, you, you know, better than last night, last week debate uh, performance. That's really not a very hard, <laughs> high bar to clear at all. No. Um, and I don't know if it really does that good. I think people could figure it out after a while. When the entire crowd go like, Bloomberg is just not that naturally all that charismatic. And in fact, Craig, we found out last night, the one thing Michael Bloomberg can't buy, laughter when his jokes fall. Oh, yeah, that's um, terrible. 
Uh, you know, by the way, like I'm the last person in the world who should throw tomatoes at anybody when it comes to bad jokes. But like, boy, they just landed with a thud there. And uh, you tell someone had told Bloomberg, tell some jokes in your answers. You know, show a little personality. And he tried and it just, just didn't really fly. I'll give him credit. When he said, what's the biggest misperception about you? And he said that I'm six feet tall. Yeah, it's a good joke, Mike Bloomberg. Good, good job, Mr. Mayor. Uh, but otherwise, the, the idea, like, you know, it's, it's very weird. It makes the party look bad. Now, the funny thing is, is that you may recall in a debate between in the Republican primary four years ago, Trump said something. Oh, Trump and Jeb Bush were going at it. And at one point, Trump said, shush. And the crowd started booing. And Trump just went on this riff about how these are all the big time donors. These are all the lobbyists. And the reason they're booing is because I don't they know I don't stand with them. I stand for the people. They don't like it. And the funny thing, of course, the crowd hated it. But the more they booed, the more they were kind of seeming to fulfill Trump's uh, narrative of that. Trump is, you know, for, for all of his flaws, and Lord knows he's got a bunch of them, he does have pretty good instincts on, oh, I'm doing badly. I'm going to figure out a way. I'm going to jujitsu that. I'm going to turn that into a strength for everybody watching at home. Because it's not like the cameras are going to turn around and, in, you know, say, who are these people here? And, yeah, they are generally party insiders who get access to this sort of thing. So um, generally, I, again, I can't, it, doesn't make, it makes the Democratic Party look bad. I can't imagine it's that cost effective. But when money is no object, like Mike Bloomberg, Heck, why not? I, I'm just picturing the scalpers outside the, uh, the debate theater, Greg. Hey, you got two tickets to balcony. How much you want? You know, who needs tickets? Who needs tickets? You know? Yeah, not 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 buying. I wouldn't. I don't think I'd pay three figures for a ticket to a presidential debate. I'm certainly not paying four. Oh, but I remember my favorite Joe Biden thing, uh, you know, where he was there. Uh, it's when uh, they were talking about coronavirus and he's like, who do you think stopped Ebola? And uh, that was uh, that was a great Joe Biden. Who did? I mean, you know, <laughs> look, if Greg, if Joe Biden was the man who stopped Ebola, we would see side effects like him bleeding from his eyes. Oh, my God, he actually did it. <laughs> the only person who was there more frequently than Joe Biden was was um, Brian Williams. All right, let's go on to our final crazy martini now. And uh, Jim, obviously, the the next contest on the Democratic primary calendar is South Carolina. That's a Saturday primary. Hopefully, we'll have results the same day. Since it's a primary, we can have reasonable hope for that. And then we've got, what is it, 14 states with contests on Super Tuesday. Now, Bernie has technically won the popular vote in all three of the states that have already voted. And he's Supposed to be competitive in South Carolina, but depending on which poll you look at, he's either down by a little or double digits against Joe Biden, who just picked up the uh, James Clyburn endorsement today. If endorsements still matter, that one might in in South Carolina. Uh, But he's actually not going to be in South Carolina on Election Day on Saturday or even the day before. He's actually going to Massachusetts for rallies Friday and Saturday in an effort to win the Massachusetts primary, which, of course, is the home turf of Elizabeth Warren, the person who was nicest to him on the debate stage the last couple of weeks, as you pointed out, probably in an effort to become the Sanders uh, choice for vice president. So, uh, Jim, what do you make of Bernie Sanders rewarding that kindness with a punch in the face? There are two aspects to it. The first is that he's not spending time in South Carolina. And for a bunch of reasons, now, you know, I've mentioned occasionally on this podcast, my parents live in South Carolina. They're much more active in Republican circles and their friends are much more active in Republican circles than they are in Democratic circles. So I don't want to overstate my my finger being on the pulse of South Carolina Democrats. The fact that Tom Steyer, the whirling dervish of raw political charisma that he is, managed to hit double digits in a couple polls simply by running a whole bunch of television ads said to me that, you know, compared to Iowa Democrats or New Hampshire Democrats, South Carolina Democrats were not 
plugged into this race uh, in, in at, a, at a high level for, for a long time. They weren't going to get all excited in, in, you know, October, November for a, you know, uh, primary that occurs in March. So I, I think, and also by the most of the polls don't have Steyer anywhere near that. So to me, that, that res, those responses you saw suggested, now, nah, you know, who are you supporting? Well, Steyer was, they just saw an ad for Steyer the other day. It's kind of the name that's in their head. They say, yeah, you know, Steyer. Okay. Um, I don't, so the, the, that's the first thing. Secondly, I think it was Dave Weigel, the Washington Post, to observe. You look back at the last two competitive Democratic primaries in South Carolina. Uh, Barack Obama did way better than his, the po- last polls indicated by like 20 points uh, back in 2008. And Hillary Clinton did way better than the polling in 2016. So um, one is, you know, Bernie Sanders has already gotten his tush kicked in this state. And the second thing is, is that let's face it, you know, Vermont senator running as a socialist, 76 years old, is just not the kind of guy you see appealing to older, maybe a little more traditional and conservative, particularly African-American voter, just doesn't seem like a natural match there. So I wouldn't be surprised if Biden wins by a better than expected margin in South Carolina. I think if you're the Sanders campaign, you would virtually won in Iowa, even if Buttigieg got more delegates, you won New Hampshire, you won Nevada by a big margin. You don't need South Carolina, so you don't spend a lot of time and resources there. Super Tuesday is coming up. You have a good chance of winning California. You have a good chance of winning a bunch of these states. You know, spend your time where it matters. And pound for pound, the place where he probably can do the, 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 most, the biggest impact on the race is if he beats Elizabeth Warren in Massachusetts. There is no need for Elizabeth Warren to stay in this race. A good comparison is four years ago, Marco Rubio left the race when Trump beat him in Florida. If you can't win your home state in a primary, nobody's going to have any faith in you. So this is actually a pretty shrewd move on the part of Sanders. I think, though, it also kind of indicates, I don't know if I were, if I'm Sanders, one, I don't know if Warren gets you that many votes you don't already have. You don't already have. Two, she's already had that, that infamous exchange where she accused him of being sexist. There was that after debate exchange where she said, I think you just lied about me. Like, I'm not sure the friendship between Sanders and Warren is all that terrific. So I think she may have played this very badly in that she, you know, uh, ran against him underestimated how much he was going to hold on to his voters from four years ago, played the gender card against him. That didn't work. And now she's trying to get back in his good graces. And I think if you're Bernie Sanders, I think you just got a lot of better options for a running mate than Elizabeth Warren. So, uh, you know, and here's the thing. Everybody thought Elizabeth Warren was this great candidate, this great candidate. Craig, she may not win her own state. No. Now she tanked in New Hampshire, uh, and probably to the benefit of Klobuchar, which uh, only hurt uh, Warren uh, even more because it meant Klobuchar was going to hang around longer. And yeah, if she loses Massachusetts, there's literally no argument for her to keep going, and she's probably going to be out of money anyway. But uh, we'll see. A lot's going to happen on Super Tuesday. So the last debate before all that's in the books, and uh, we'll see what happens. But uh, Jim, we can still pop the popcorn. We're going to run out. I think we might. We don't have to import it from China, Greg. Jim Garrity, National Review. I'm Greg Columbus, Radio America. Thanks so much for being with us today. Also, please subscribe to the podcast. Leave us kind reviews with lots of stars. That would be great. Also, if you have one of those home devices like Alexa or Google Home, all you have to tell it is play Three Martini Lunch podcast, and it will do it. So you can take us with you or listen anywhere uh, that you have those devices. And uh, we also look forward to seeing you right back here on Thursday for the Three Martini Lunch.